In this recording, Christine Foster begins the first of a short series looking at the challenges faced by the early church. Chrissy looks in Act 6 at the challenge of new circumstances. Here is the passage she spoke from. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Interesting passage, isn't it? So let's look at what we know from this story. Number one, the church had grown and had spread beyond the Hebraic boundaries because there were Grecians. wonder why the church had spread. Well, if we look back, I think we can see some of the reasons. If we look back to the chapter before, some of the apostles had been taken prisoner, had been flogged for their faith, told not to carry on. But Acts 5.42 says, Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped preaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. And this was despite being flogged for it. They weren't going to stand still and do nothing. Jesus had said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go out. And here they were, yeah, they were in the temple courts proclaiming, but they were also going from house to house. They were among the people. They were getting out there and, and sharing the gospel, sharing the good news of Jesus. You see, persecution doesn't stop the word from spreading. We know this from other countries. We've seen in other countries where persecution has actually increased the word spreading. I think sometimes, are we a bit lax? Do we just sort of sit back on our laurels because, well, we're okay, we can, we can say what we like almost. Well, not quite these days. We have to be very careful. But you see, as the church grew the dynamic changed. And as churches grow, the dynamic changes. That can be a good thing. That can be really good as the dynamic changes because we get a totally different aspect on life. We're not all the same. It'd be very boring if everybody was exactly the same, wouldn't it? We have different dynamics, different interests, different backgrounds. We often boast that we're a, a multicultural church with people from many nationalities, and it's great because everybody brings in their background. 
It's great. It's wonderful. The dynamic's there. But in this instance, there was a dynamic that wasn't quite so good because immediately we see that there were people that were needy that were coming in and we hear about the daily distribution of food. There was a program of feeding. In this case, it was the widows. They were caring. They were caring people. And they were sharing what they'd got. Taking care of others was considered important. <coughs> Tim spoke recently about the importance of community. And as we fellowship together, we get to know one another. We get to know one another's needs. We get to know one another's interests. If we don't fellowship, if we don't mix with one another, we won't know. And God's put us together as a community to share together, to love together, to care together. These are all important parts of community. Because without sharing, we won't know the needs. But God sometimes prompts people to help one another. God sometimes just gives that prod to somebody else and said, go and help that person. And I'm going to stop now from speaking because I'm going to ask Jenny to share something of a help. Jenny, would you come and share, please? At the onset, I would like to say that it is important to God how we treat other people. My friend Angela, who I've known for five years now, had a serious accident four years ago when she jumped and fell 40 feet from a bridge, causing internal injuries and serious injuries to her arm and foot. She was in hospital and the mental health unit for many weeks. I can truly say that I've been a good friend to her, giving her constant support, showing kindness and given a listening ear, she knew that she was able to rely on me. On the 16th of January, a few weeks ago, I was indoors at the time, and I began thinking to myself how I would like to go into town and buy a new fur coat to wear at my son Matthew's wedding ceremony on the 28th of January. I didn't have much spare cash, but, but was hoping to find a bargain. I decided to pray to the Lord, so I said to him, I would like to buy a fur coat to wear when Matthew and Mel gets married, but don't have much cash, Lord, but help me to find a bargain. I then decided to phone Angela to ask if she was up to meeting me in town for coffee and a chat. I hadn't seen her for a couple of weeks, as she hadn't been too well again. She sat waiting for me outside Starbucks, as soon as I sat down, she handed to me a gift box and said to me, I've got this for your birthday, Jenny. I'd forgotten my birthday as it had come and gone. As I opened the box, I couldn't believe my eyes. Inside the box was a gift voucher for £50. She said you can buy whatever you want in Debenhams. I mentioned how I would like to buy a new fur coat for the wedding. As we looked around in Debenhams, we came across a row of fur coats, all the same style and colour. I tried one on and Angela said it looks lovely. 
I then looked at the price tag, which said reduced from £85 to £56. So with grateful thanks to Angela, more importantly to the Lord, I only had to pay £6 towards the coat. My My grateful thanks is to God for using Angela in answer to prayer and showing me his kindness and favour. Thanks, Jenny. You can see I'm not technical. (laughs) Yeah, what a wonderful testimony. You know, God obviously prompted Angela to remember that birthday. You know, God, God does provide needs. And God uses us to provide those needs. We just need to be ready and listening at all times. Hunger was obviously a need to the early Christians. And as we look around this country today, we hear quite often that people don't have enough to buy their weekly shop. And in many towns and cities, we've seen the Trussell Trust built up, active in helping to feed the needy. And I know many Christians are involved in that. I read a comment on Facebook recently by somebody I know who shared his pleasure at being able to go and buy go out and help buy provisions for people in Wickford. Doing something for somebody else blessed him. That's the wonderful thing, you know, being being a giver is a great blessing. I think somewhere it says it's more blessed to give than receive. And it's important that we do bless others. It's important also that we learn to receive. I can remember many years ago a friend of mine decided that she wanted to bless me by taking me on holiday. Now, I'm not a good receiver. I really am not. I don't like feeling that I can't do things for myself. Brian will tell you, even with little things like the ironing board, he'll insist he wants to help me by getting the ironing board out. Well, I've always done it. I can do it. I don't need you to do it. And immediately, I'm not receiving. It's that I can do it myself. But this particular time, my friend decided she wanted to take me away on holiday. We actually took my car, but she put the petrol in. She paid for everything that week. She didn't have a lot of spare cash at the time. They were in a situation where they were ministering to others. But her delight was to bless me. Now, if I'd have refused to let her bless me, she wouldn't have been blessed. And I learned that, you know, needs aren't just physical, they're spiritual, because God was doing something in me. He's still working on me, I can tell you. <laughs> and there's a, lot of way, a long way to go. In our time of prayer and fasting in September and October, words were brought to the church, amongst others, which said, feed those who are hungry. It was felt that this was about those who were hungry for the gospel, but it's also about the physically hungry. God wants us to feed in many different ways. And this was one of the things that the early church found too. They needed to be able to feed. And they were looking after those in the fellowship, but some were obviously considered more in 
than others. Hence the problem, the Grecian Jews were being missed out. It would appear that people were being selective in whom they helped. James challenged people in the early church too on this question. It wasn't just then. I mean, it obviously was happening quite a bit because James' words were, My beloved, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Quite a clear word, isn't it? Don't show favoritism. Are we selective in who we befriend? Do we just befriend those we like? We have to face the fact that people will come into the church who challenge us by their lifestyle. What will we do about it? You know, the dynamic might change again. What are we going to do? And if they do come in, the first thing they need is our love, our acceptance of them as people, and our friendship not our judgment. Can you remember the story Brian told you in the summer about the, the, the group of people that went to a church because they'd found Jesus? They were on the journey. They found in that church a caring pastor who helped them on the journey and brought them further along to a deeper relationship with God by his loving and caring and acceptance if some of the other members had had their way, these people would have been rejected because the other members found them very difficult. And, oh, no, no, we don't want those people in our church. No, 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 no way. But the pastor said, don't hurt the lambs. God wants us to not be selective, not show favoritism. Love everybody. Be all embracing. And then if we look at the next thing, we notice not everything was fair and there were grumblings in the church. The Grecian Jews were grumbling. You're not treating our people the same way as the others. Yeah, justified. There were grumblings. It's easy to start grumbling when things aren't right, isn't it? It's easy to start moaning and saying, oh, this isn't right, this isn't fair. Life's not fair, unfortunately, and, and life can deal us some bad blows sometimes. But, you know, the wonderful thing is, we've been reminded this morning, life might deal us the bad blows, but we know that God is with us even in those difficult times. He's the one that carries us through. He's the one that gets us through to the other side. So what do we do when we start, when we, when we start thinking things aren't fair in the church? Do we start grumbling? It's an easy position to be in, isn't it? I can remember being in hospital once and my parents had gone away. I'd, it was a, they brought the operation forward so that I could have surgery during school holidays. So my parents had already booked their holiday. And I felt neglected because people from church didn't come to see me. Now, I could have gone around saying to everybody in church, you're not fair. I grumbled to the family. 
the family knew all about it and they were saying, you're unreasonable, people are busy. And I was saying, but I'm on my own, you know. Um, I could have spent my time going and criticising everybody in the church. But instead I decided, do you know what, I don't want to see somebody else in that position. So I tried to make an effort to make sure if anybody else was in that position, I was the one that visited. It's turning a situation around, isn't it? We can turn a situation around and when we can find that we can actually make life a lot better for others by turning our situation around, by sort of, instead of saying, well, it's not fair, what can I do to help others? A solution to this problem needed to be found. The problem had been brought to the notice of the apostles, so they had to to work something out. Obviously, this situation couldn't go on as it was, otherwise you'd have a lot of disgruntled people in the church. They knew that they couldn't do everything. There had to be delegation. The twelve realised that they had a priority, and that was preaching the gospel. So they realised that they needed help. If we look back to the story of Moses, we see something similar, don't we? Because his father-in-law came to him when he was busy dealing with everything and said, look, you can't do it all. You just can't do it all. You'll make yourself ill, virtually. And there was a way forward for there. The the apostles realised they couldn't do everything. Not one of us can do everything. The eldership can't do everything. Children's workers can't do everything. But there's a solution because you delegate. And in the church today, we believe that each one is part of the body. Each one has. We've all got a responsibility. We've got a responsibility for one another. Comes back to community, doesn't it? It just comes right back to community. Because God's put us in a community to share for one another, to care for one another. Yes, in a way it's delegation, but it's actually all of us taking our part in the community that God's called us to. So they did something about it. They went to the people and they said, look, we, you know, we need your help. We want you to choose seven men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. That's a great thing, wisdom, isn't it? You need wisdom in every situation. But they needed to be full of the Holy Spirit. And to be full of the Holy Spirit, you need to be constantly walking with God. Because when you move away, it dwindles. It's when you're close to God, God with you, you with God. God said, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. That closeness with God maintains that fullness of the Holy Spirit. A constant fullness. That relationship, that spending time in the presence of God is so vital. So they chose their seven men. 
full of the Spirit and wisdom. And we know from stories in Acts that Stephen and Philip actually went further. Stephen spoke out on his faith and actually got stoned for it. Philip shared his faith. Philip was involved in praying for healing. Often God starts us with one task and then moves us on to another, but he gives us the strength to do the things he's called us to. I never thought I would be standing up in front of people speaking. God's decided that he needs to to give me the strength to do this because I certainly wasn't a person that would have stood out and spoken. I was always the one in the corner that sat and listened. But when God decides he's got a job for you, he gives you the ability to do it. And they were prepared to respond. These seven were prepared to respond. And then the apostles laid their hands on them and prayed for them. This was quite normal in biblical times to lay hands on and pray. And one of the reasons for this was to commission people, to ordain people. And Tim, as I was thinking of this, I thought of you with the hospital being ordained. You're an ordained person because you had hands laid on you and you were ordained for the job, for the work. And it suddenly struck me, you know, that that it's the same thing. But God commissions us. And that's why we lay hands and pray for people. It's the ordination. It's God's commissioning. The end result? Well, the end result was that the number of disciples, the word of God spread and the number of disciples increased rapidly. Why? Because they were doing what God had called them to do. The apostles were preaching. You'd got the seven waiting at tables. The issue had been dealt with, and I'm sure that there wasn't the disgruntled people in the church at the time. I wonder what would have happened if they'd ignored the complaints. I wonder what would have happened if they'd have ignored the complaints. The world would have seen a disgruntled group of people. People outside observe what we do. People at Wat Tyler see what we're like. And they've made comments about it too, positive comments, because they've seen God's people at work. People outside are far more aware than we think they are. Far, far more aware than we think they are. And yet, you see, in this instance, the people outside saw a group of people willing to help others to deal with problems and move forward. The early church was not exempt from problems. They were no different from what we are. So what are the issues for us today? Well, we're in the process of change. God is stirring us up. 
God is stirring us up to get out into the world, to share the gospel. Things will be different. We may not find it easy. And as we grow, we find that the dynamics change. We have to be ready to accept this and be all-embracing and not selective. As we're in the process of change, we know that it's not easy. We need to understand one another in the situation. We need to care for one another. Serving others was important and should be for us today. Serving one another. We're a body. We serve one another. It's so easy to ask, isn't it, what can I get out of this? That's the way the world would look at it, isn't it? What can I get out of this? What, what's in it for me? But what God wants us to say is, what can I give? How can I serve? How can I bless? How can I be there for other people? When problems arise, we need to deal with them sensitively in keeping with God's direction. And it's important that in everything we do, we have communion with God, we build on community, and we go out into the neighbourhood in a missional way. All three are important. Communion with God, vital. That relationship with God is so vital because if, if we have that relationship with God, we're hearing what he's saying to us. We're listening to those promptings like Jenny's friend to just provide that need when it's not there. That building community is so vital that we build relationship, that we make everyone feel part of the body. Every single person should feel part of the body. And we're the ones that do that. We're the ones that include people. And then going out into the neighbourhood actually great to get amongst your neighbours. Brian and I had a wonderful time this week. We had an evening where we invited our neighbours in for light refreshment and, and dessert. And we had a wonderful evening together, just sharing together, listening to our neighbours, listening to where they're at, building relationship. That's what God wants us to do. Build relationships. Build relationship with him, with each other, and with people in the world. And you know what, church? We can do it. We can move forward in these ways if we're prepared to follow this. If we're prepared to have those relationships with God, each other, and our neighbours. We can do it, and we can go forward together. And I just realised I'd written this at the end in the knowledge that God is with us and will help us face every situation.